Desmond Tutu once said, do your bit of good where you are. So it's bits of good put together that overwhelm the world. This is Haley, and you're listening to the Bits of Good podcast. I worked in domestic violence and sexual assault before this, and then I had a child and realized that I was in the wrong field and needed to work with children and child abuse victims. So that's why I jumped into the care house, and it has been one of the best decisions I have ever made in my entire life. In this week's episode, I sat down with my friend Sarah Sweeney, the outreach coordinator for the care house of the PD. We recorded this in person in a safe and socially distant way, so if you hear a lot of background noise, that's why. I first met Sarah when I had just launched the beta version of The Activist, and I was looking for local nonprofits to connect with, and the care house was one of the ones at the top of my list. I sent an email to them, and within 24 hours, I heard a response from Sarah. I was just blown away with her kindness and support right off the bat. As you'll hear in this interview, she's really passionate about the incredible work that she does for the care house. I hope that by listening to this episode that you'll think about your passions and how you can use them where you are to make a difference in the world. So the care house. Let me tell you about what the care house is and what we do. I'm so proud of the work we do here. So we are a child advocacy center. And what that is, is we advocate for the child. We do exactly what it says. So uh, there are children who are being abused and we help them. So we're kind of that middleman between DSS and law enforcement and the court system. We kind of joke in the field that it's a one-stop shop for child abuse, um, prevention and care. So what a child does is when there's a child abuse allegation, law enforcement or DSS will call us. We will interview the child in a child-friendly environment and work with them and then that way they have um, a recording of the interview and things like that. So it's kind of just that middleman and we make sure the child is cared for. We offer hope, help, and healing for the children that come to the care house of the PD. Yeah. And then we also, of course, we have that. That's our investigative side. So we do the forensic interviews and the medical exam. But we also do um, therapy for children. So all of our therapy is evidence-based, which basically means it's backed by science and it's proven to work. So all the therapy is focus on any kind of child's trauma that they have in the background. Um, The cool thing about it is right now we're actually in our play therapy room recording this. And the cool thing about play therapy is that children can't voice what's happening to them, especially if they're under about 12 years old. So much of their stuff comes out through their play. So we use a lot of play therapy in our therapy uh, to kind of help the child talk about what's going on in their life. And so really, you all here, you create like a safe space for the child to come to and to feel comfortable and because I can imagine after going through something traumatic and having to talk to the police or talk to all these different strange people that they don't know you all sort of come in and provide that safe like nurturing caring environment where they they feel it's okay to communicate yeah absolutely so the cool thing about the child advocacy model was it actually started in the 80s it's a relatively young kind of model in terms of other things like that but so yes the child advocacy center model started in alabama because law enforcement at dss were realizing that children were going to multiple places telling their stories many many times to tell a story to a cop he's got handcuffs on one hip and gun on the other that's scary then he goes to the hospital and he tells a story to a doctor and there's that white coat syndrome that's scary And then the same thing with DSS, you've got this woman or this man coming into your home asking you what mommy or daddy did to you. So then they created the Child Advocacy Centers. And so yes, that's what we are. We we advocate for children, we create this safe space for them. They walk in our doors and they are our children. They are our family, we take care of them. They don't have to tell their story many, many times. Unfortunately, in the state of South Carolina, children still have to testify against their abuser. 
So it is our hope that we can do the forensic interview in place of that testimony. That forensic interview is recorded. It, all the questions that the forensic interviewers asks are meant to reach the child on their developmental level. So it's things like, like Haley, if you got into a car accident tomorrow and a police officer drove up and said, was it the red car or the blue car that hit you? You as a grown person know that you have that third option of it was the green car and he actually drove away. Children don't always understand that. So our conversations with them in the forensic interviews are non-leading. Was it the green car, the blue car, or something different? Was it the red car, the blue car, something different? Something like that. So it's every question is this, this, or something different, and then we repeat their answer back to them. So you, so we say, oh, so it was the green car that drove away. Is that what I'm understanding? And that's how we make sure that it's, it's legally binding. We're not putting any words into the ch child's mouth. Mm -hmm. um, it's non-leading. So the whole point of the forensic interview is that the hope that they don't have to testify against their abuser. We can use the forensic interview in place of that. Now, if a child is brave enough and says, absolutely, I want to sit across the courtroom, we're not going to ever deny a child that. But if we can, let's not re-traumatize them even more. So of course, we try to create that safe space. We really want the children to feel like this is a place that I'm going to be okay. That's the reason we call it care house. It's not a house. Children don't actually stay here, but we, we feel like we're a family here. We have, we, and also, all these agencies come together under one roof. DSS, law enforcement, the, even the school system, the solicitor's office, they all come together for this one child under our one roof of the care house. Yeah, so it's a safe meeting place. It is a safe meeting place. We have this um, organization called MDT, which stands for Multidisciplinary Team, where once a month, all the agencies involved in these child abuse cases get together on a phone call, since, since it's COVID, but normally we get together in person. We show a picture of the child, we talk about the case, and that way no, no child slips through the cracks. That's one of the reasons I love working in this field and in this industry because there is maybe one child who gets 15 to 16 people standing behind him automatically. It is a really safe place for children. We, and that's one of the first things we do. We always wanna make this child friendly. That's how we approach everything. How can we put the child first in this particular instance? Would you say that your perspective on all this has changed since having a child? <laughs> yes, so my perspective on this has 100% changed since having a child. When I found out I was pregnant, I was still working in just the private sector. I was doing like IT and marketing work. Um, and then I stepped into the domestic violence sexual assault role and thoroughly enjoyed it. I've always had a passion for that. But then as my daughter has grown more and I've stepped into the child abuse side of things, my perspective has absolutely changed. I'm very fortunate to work with some amazing therapists. So like, I'll play a lot of hypotheticals sometimes if I'm having some problems at home. Um, I get to use these awesome resources that I work with. So if I'm having lunch with them in the break room, I'll be like, hypothetically, if a little girl's having problems with potty training, how do I talk to her to make sure she feels loved, but also we need to know potty training. Um, <laughs> and that's, of course, I'm joking on that one, but of course it's changed my perspective as a parent. Um, I have seen my daughter's eyes and a lot of children that come here. Um, and when we were in kind of the midst of COVID, uh, normally I work on the marketing and the outreach side of things, but they asked us to go to half staff in the office every other week. So they split up our team into two teams and we were asked to do a little bit more, which we're always happy to do. Um, and they asked me to help with the medical exams. So I was helping the doctor and doing medical assistant type stuff. And I learned so much and I learned that I'm in the right place, that this is where my heart is because I would walk into these medical exam rooms with these kids who were possibly scared or crying. And by the end, we were laughing and joking and playing around. And I get to give a little hug and get snuggled a little bit for the little ones or the big ones. We get to talk about comic books and nerd things because I'm a nerd. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, absolutely my perspective has changed, but at the same time, it's only grown more, like my heart has grown bigger for these kids, and especially in the PD region.
The Carry House has a very unique therapy program that is the only one like it offered in the PD region. And Sarah's going to tell us a little more about that. It's called Parent-Child Interaction Therapy, and it's for children between the ages of like two and seven. And the cool thing about it is a parent and a child are in a, in a room by themselves interacting with each other. And then there's a therapist watching in the other room, in the observation room, so they can, so the, the therapist can see the child through the one-way mirror, and the parent has an earpiece. And so the therapist is coaching the parent on saying things like, that was some really great labeled praising you did, now let's talk about time out. Um, and that helps the parent, it helps the child, it is an amazing program and it's proven to work. I mean, like I said, all of our, science, all of our therapy is science-backed and evidence-based. Um, luckily, we just actually got a grant to pay for more therapists to get trained in that kind of therapy. Wow. So we'll have some more therapists being able to offer that parent-child interaction therapy uh, in the future. So it's, it's a really great program. I mean, we have five different types of therapies that we work with, though. Yeah. So it's all about reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And I know even in the fostering system, that is sort of the goal as well, is if there is a chance for reconciliation between the parent and the child, that's the ultimate, ho- uh, ultimate hope. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yes, it is always our goal to bring the families back together if possible. Now, of course, that's not always the case, but, I mean, we've done parent-child interaction therapy, and the word parent is such a, it's such a loose word. We've done parent-child interaction therapy with a grandmother and a child um, who she had received custody of this child, and so they started to work together. So, absolutely, but it's just helping more than anything. It's helping the child. Of course, we'll work with families. We do therapy for... um, like a secondary survivor, like maybe a mom who's had her daughter sexually abused, that mom's going through a lot of trauma herself, and she needs to learn how to work with that, with her child and all the feelings that her child's going through. So yes, so the child and the parent is always welcome here. We always work with them, but more than anything, we want to focus on the child. Yeah. I see these creepy puppets, like they keep... Like, <laughs> they're, they're so as we're recording eyes. this, there are creepy puppets watching us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> While we find humor in the puppets that are watching us in this room, both understand that child abuse is not an easy topic to discuss. Nobody wants to talk about it. I mean, that's such right. a horrible thing. Same thing with domestic violence or sexual assault. It is not something that we talk about as a society. Now, I will give it to this community um, and the, the society as a whole. We are talking about things that we would not have put up with 10 years ago. I mean, even just this year, you heard more about human trafficking than you ever heard. And we deal with human trafficking here. But um, the hardest part about this job is like, breaking down that wall of, it is not the person in a trailer park that is being abused. It's the person down your street, it's your neighbor. It's, mm. you know, abuse is, takes so many forms. Um, we deal with sexual abuse, we deal with physical abuse. A lot of abuse we're starting to see now is also through like predators online and things like that. So that there is that trafficking element to it. There's neglect. And then luckily in the state of South Carolina, if a child witnesses domestic violence, they are considered a victim, which is, that's a traumatic experience. So. Mm. Getting people to talk about it is tough. Um, I can tell you that it's one of the doors that has opened for me is we have a dog that works with us, McGuffey. Um, and any time that we are together, like if I bring him with me somewhere or if I'm with my um, executive director and he's with us, people immediately want to come up to us and why do you have the dog? What is the dog about? He is a great door opener in a way to talk about what we do because nobody wants to hear about this child who's been physically abused or sexually abused because nobody wants to think about it happening in their own home. I mean, it's such a horrifying experience. Because I mean, like you can easily watch on TV some abuse happening or something like that, but you know that it's not actually in your home. It's not happening, but it could be happening to a, you know, a child that you literally know that's down the street. So I get to talk about it that way. And I talk about how McGuffey sits with the children and he works with them in therapy and things like that. And so that is a, a huge 
he's a great marketing tool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's cute too. And he's a great therapy for all of the staff here too. He knows when we're stressed and he will float from office to office, laying down and making sure we're okay. And so, um, that is, it is very tough, but it's one of those things too, that I don't mind talking about it. I don't, and I'm kind of, I'm not one of those people at parties that are like, I work in violence. Let's talk about it. No, <laughs> yeah. That's not me. The conversation but, started. <laughs> yeah, no, for me, it's more, um, I work with abused children and their families, or, um, I work with a really great staff that works with abused children and their families. And that's where we get to talk about it. I mean, nobody wants to talk about, you know, the specifics of it, but you know, the fact that between, say, from 2018, this is one of my big time openers whenever I talk about it. In 2018, we did 424 forensic interviews. In 2019, we did 707. That is almost 300 more. That's not more children getting abused. That's more children getting help. Mm-hmm. And that's how we look at it here at the care house. There are more people yeah. talking about it, more people not putting up with it than they have in the past. Do you find that when children, when facing a physical abuse versus a verbal abuse, like how, how like do you see a lot of kids who face like extreme verbal abuse? Sure. And how is that interaction between the two? Because it's easy to, I guess, see the physical mm-hmm. side of things, but when it's verbal, when it's more of a mental game, even as adults, mm-hmm. that's really hard for us to process and sort through. And even later in our life, we'll realize oh wow that was not a really healthy situation so how is it working with the two different dynamics and i'm sure a lot of times those you know oh intersected yeah they go hand in hand i'm sure but one of the things that every forensic interview they do is a screen for all types of abuse so they'll ask things like has there ever been a time that you didn't have food in your house or has there ever been a time when mom and dad or whoever the caregivers are, aunt and uncle, or whoever they may be, fight. And then the child says, yes, they fight. We'll say, do they fight with their words or with their bodies? And what does their fighting look like? So we screen for every type of abuse in the forensic interview. Um, has anybody ever touched you in a way that you don't like? I mean, because we don't know how far the trauma goes. But then also there's this thing called adverse childhood experiences, ACEs. Um, and the CDC has done a great study on it and they are kind of doing more and more. And they're finding that if you have, so there are about 10 to 12 ACEs, if you have four or more, that takes about 10 to 20 years off your life. And so let's, let me give you a scenario here. Let's say that Johnny's mom and dad fight and they yell at each other and they maybe get physical uh, with their domestic violence. So that's one ace right there. The second ace, um, let's say that Johnny and his, his parents split up. That's two aces. So one of the, one of the aces is divorced parents because um, it is an adverse childhood experience. A third ace maybe dad turns that fist on Johnny. So that's three aces right there um, in just a short period of time. So, I mean, mm-hmm. if he has one more, so there are a lot of things that kind of go hand in hand. These adverse childhood experiences or aces really feed into that. And that's kind of what we cover a lot of in what we talk about in forensic interviews and therapy and things like that. The Care House doesn't just cover the heavy stuff, though. They also do fun things like letters to Santa. It's Christmas time right now, and we write letters from Santa Claus. We, we partner up with the North Pole. Um, Santa and his elves come down and they write personalized letters from Santa Claus to the children of the area. It's a fundraiser for us. People pay for it. But also one of the cool things that the community has started to do is they pay for foster children to have letters. So I, I get to work with the elves personally and write these amazing letters, these personalized letters from the desk of Santa Claus. And we ship them off to the North Pole. They get stamped at the North Pole. And then they go to the child. And it's in a beautiful gold envelope. And let me tell you, like... That means so much to me that there are some children that, you know, are getting things that from us that 
I don't even know these kids and they're being touched by me and my amazing staff and stuff like that so so with with all the programs that you all have going on and also with the letters to Santa how else can we the listeners support the care house and support you in doing your bits of good sure well so we do a couple of fundraisers every year and our fundraisers are not hey y'all come out we're going to talk about fun uh child abuse which we have a lot of fun one of our things we do is called capes for kids and it's a 5k 10k and kids fun run uh it's here in florence and that's generated about 200 runners each year and it's a ton of fun it's superhero themed so we have a lot of superhero contests and we have superheroes come out and do that kind of stuff we have another one called toss and taste and it is cornhole tournament chili cook-off and a silent auction so those are two ways you can come support even if you just don't really want to talk about what we do we love volunteers and then of course go to thecarehouse.com and click on our donate button if you just feel compelled to do so because your donation would go right back into the pd region here and it will directly impact children's lives. Sarah mentions one other way that we can do our bits of good, and that is actually with education. Education and how we teach our children to communicate about their bodies. If you are worried about your child being sexually abused by someone that they may not know or something like that, start early. Talk about these things. Tell them we don't keep body secrets. Use words like penis and vagina. Make sure that they know that those are not taboo words because If a child goes to someone and says, he touched my vagina or he touched my penis, an adult's ears are going to prick up immediately. If you call it a cookie, a monkey box, a butterfly, anything like that, you're teaching the child that the word is taboo and it's a bad word that we don't talk about it. Um, Mm -hmm. Now I have, you know, my two-year-old is starting to get into the phase where she just wants to say vagina. And so what I've taught her is that's potty talk. We use that word in the potty so like she gets it all out and then we talk about it in a different way so it's not taboo in my house it's one of those things we just you know it's just a body part it's just like an arm or a leg um because she's starting to learn that it's not something that adults want to hear and it's really weird to hear a two-year-old say vagina i'll be honest but um it it's a it's a sexual abuse prevention method and then mm-hmm. so i'm having conversations with her now and she's too about strangers and what how there are kind strangers and there are unkind strangers don't be afraid to talk about these things with your kids because your kids are naturally curious and their first science like their first science experiment is their body they learn so much from their bodies and they're fascinated by their bodies. so just talk about it with them pretty early and if you have older kids you know don't be afraid to let them talk to you about it either it, it makes me weird but they're going to get the unsolicited the unwanted awfulness on social media anyway so teach them about sex in a way that is safe and good not in the bad way that predators want them to learn about it so that would be kind of what any advice that I can give to anyone in the in the community so if you don't want to talk about it with your kids call us we'll talk about it with your kids there is another organization out there called one child at a time we do a lot of partnerships with them and she works with human trafficking and sex trafficking and she could talk to your kids and you about it she i mean we don't mind having these conversations because they can prevent something in the future i would love it if i worked myself out of a job because we just were out in the community so much talking about prevention i don't know if that'll ever happen in my lifetime but until it is i'll be working here at the care house As always, thanks for listening.